Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you live from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. My email address is onair at exxonradiotv.com. You can always listen to the Exxon Radio Show, 724-365, at uh, www.exxonradiotv.com. And you can even listen to the X-Zone if you're away from a handheld device, if you're away from your computer, if you're out of your car, you, all you have to do is pick up a phone and dial 213-401-0080. That's 213-401-0080. And as you know by now, Exonation, we're heard around the world live on the Starcom Radio Network. My guest this hour is a gentleman I've had the pleasure of having on the show before. His name is Major Kevin Randall. We talk about UFOs, we talk about UFO crashes, we talk about the Roswell crash of 1947. And uh, Kevin has, for ooh, more than about 45 years now, studied the UFO phenomena and all its various incarnations. His training by the Army and the Air Force provides Kevin with a keen insight a rather unusual training that most, I'd even say the majority of UFO researchers do not have. But this guy is the real McCoy. He is a real researcher. He is not a want-to-be. And this is what I love about Kevin. He calls it as he sees it. And I think we're going to change your name, Kevin. We're not going to call you Major Kevin Randall anymore. We're going to call you Major Kevin Credible Randalls. Well, that would be nice, but I actually retired as a lieutenant colonel. Oh, <laughs> thanks for telling me, Kev. <laughs> I probably mentioned it sometime in the past. <laughs> uh huh. Open mouth, put foot in, put other food out, and shoot it. Thanks, buddy. I, I don't blame you. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm always proud of you and the fine men and women who serve our countries and who protect our democracy and and the way that we live. So uh, thanks once again. And I always thank you and, and the members whenever you're on because it brings to light the wonderful 
jobs that that you people do when you actually went over to the other side to to fight for us so thanks kevin so what's new with you besides being promoted to a lieutenant colonel from a major <laughs> that's it i'm i'm done and thank uh, you for the uh, opportunity to talk with you all right kevin always <laughs> nice talking to you see you later bye-bye <laughs> Good night, everybody. Night, nice guy. Nice guy. So, <laughs> so, so, what's new, my friend? Just the same, same old, same old. Looking at UFO cases, trying to determine what is authentic, what is not, what is real, what we can move forward. How we, how can we move forward in in this investigation of UFOs? What's the thing we need yeah. to do now to to elevate uh, us into a, a higher arena? I think that's kind of where we're going. And what do you think we should do, Kevin? I think we should stop being as partisan as we are with skeptics at one end of the spectrum mm -hmm. and the believers at the other end, and neither side willing to really look at the evidence, but, but citing, uh, this, is what I this is what I know to be the truth, even though some of those truths may not be right. I think we, we need to kind of combine everything and try to look at it in a rational, intelligent way so that uh, we can actually get some answers for some of these things. And the one thing that's really bugged me in the last number of years is the cases we have to keep revisiting. Mm -hmm. There's a solution for them. We know there's a solution for them. It's a logical solution. Why do we have to keep coming back to these things and explaining it over and over and over again? And I think one of the best examples of that is the Mantell case from January of 1948. It is clear what happened. It is clear it did not involve an alien craft, although there was a UFO involved, but that UFO has been identified. The records are available now uh, that were once classified. We've now got all the records, and we understand exactly what happened. And yet there are people who keep wanting to revisit the Mantell case as if there is an extraterrestrial component to it. We know what happened. We we can move on to something else. But it seems that that there are certain segments within the UFO community that want to keep the old cases going because they truly believe in their little hearts of hearts that there is a connection to the the bigger cases, the other cases that never seem to die. And I'm talking about Shag Harbor up here in Canada. I'm talking about Roswell, New Mexico in the U.S., Randlesham Forest in the U.K., it, 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 they never die. And yet, Kevin, all the years I've been doing this show, and I'm sure all, and I can't talk to you about you and, and your research, I have seen very little new physical evidence come up that could explain any of these major cases. And, and, and you're absolutely correct on that. Uh, Rendlesham Forest, the latest thing on that, I believe, is John Burroughs just got his um, medical disability from the Air Force, mm -hmm. suggesting that the, the medical problems he had are service-connected, and they're all an outgrowth of what he saw at Rendlesham Forest back in, well, I think it's 1980, at Bent Waters Field. But we know that there was something very unusual there, and his medical uh, conditions, his mm -hmm. medical problems stem from that encounter. So that's a very good case, a very solid case. And I know the skeptical community has said, well, they mistaken a, or mistook a, a, a lighthouse uh, for the flashing light that they saw. And then when you look at what Burroughs and Pediston and some of the others say, Colonel Halt said, mm -hmm. it's clear 
that there was an object in the woods, not a light in the woods, but an actual object in the woods. And so this is a case where um, I think in the skeptical community, they just threw a lot of mud at the wall to see what would stick, but they have not offered a good, solid explanation for what happened to that case. With, with the Mantell case, you know, the pilot was killed chasing the UFO. Uh, we've got a look at the evidence. We look at the, what the tow- people in the tower, the Godman Army Airfield tower, tower saw, and the illustrations they made <laughs> for the Air Force investigation, and it's clear that it was some kind of high-altitude research balloon. That answer is very clear. Rendlesham Forest, we do not have anything that suggests there is a mundane explanation. What about Roswell? Is there anything new there? Well, the, the, the <laughs> big thing, the big thing has been the slides. Yeah. But I, I, I think they're more of a distraction now than, than anything that's going to increase our knowledge of what happened at Roswell. And what we've, we've gotten so much nonsense mixed up in the case from people coming forward and saying, yes, I was there, I saw the bodies, this sort mm-hmm. of thing, and, and later learning that they weren't there, they didn't see the bodies, uh, but, but trying to work our way through all the nonsense that is surrounding the Roswell case to come to the core of it, the solid core of it, um, we just haven't made any real progress in the last uh, number of years. We've got some interesting testimonies. We've got interesting testimonies on tape, both audio and videotape, we have very limited documentation, uh, so we're, we're kind of stuck where we were 15, 20 years ago with that in a search for more documentation um, to, to see if we can determine if it was something mundane or if it was something extraterrestrial. I believe, based on the interviews I conducted with the very credible people, people who we could prove they're uh, Major Edwin Easley, who retired as a full colonel from the Air Force, was the provost marshal there, and he told me when I asked him, are we following the right path here? And he said, what do you mean? And I said, we believe it was extraterrestrial. And he said, well, let me put it this way. You're not following the wrong path, which, of course, means... You're following the right path. Yeah, yeah, he was convinced it was extraterrestrial. And, And so we've got a number of people like that. Every member of Colonel Blanchard's staff we were able to interview, and this includes Jesse Marcel, Patrick Saunders, said that it was something that had come to Earth, but it wasn't manufactured on Earth, to, to quote Jesse Marcel in one of the interviews I saw, with the exception of, I think, Colonel Barrowclaw, who was, and I don't remember if he was the deputy commander or the executive officer at the 509th at the time, but he, was, he said nothing happened, it's all a bunch of nonsense, and maybe now these people will leave me alone that I've said that. But every other member of the staff of equal status with him said it was aliens. Hmm. It was extraterrestrial. It was something that came to Earth. So we have, we have a solid core of good testimony from the people who were involved, but we just don't, haven't been able to get documentation to corroborate it other than some limited, limited documentation. Uh, and things that we've been searching for for years and years and years, we just have not been able to put our fingers on. One of the strangest things about the Roswell case that I would like to ask you about is is the following. You had Jesse Marcel as the base intelligence officer. He goes out to Mark Brazel's farm, sees the debris, picks debris up, puts it in his 
in his vehicle. And on the way back to the base, decides to drop off and show his family what he's got. Now, as a member of the military, I know as a police officer, if I was to do that, I would break the chain of custody of the evidence. And that evidence is just thrown out the door and your entire case is gone. How come nobody has questioned this point? Well, that point's been questioned repeatedly. And what's the answer? The answer is, when Marcel was sent out there, they didn't know what they were, were dealing with. Uh, the UFO phenomenon mm-hmm. in a public arena was just a couple of weeks old. He was, he was told uh, by Mac Brazel, you know, we've got this, I've got this strange debris out on my, my ranch, and he was sent out there by Colonel Blanchard to see what, what the guy's got and, and bring it on home, or bring it back to the bay. Find out what it is, I guess, is what I, what I should say. On his way home, he thought it was something extraordinary, and he wanted to stop off and show his son. But but is that normal? Pr- but is that normal procedure? I, I think, given the circumstances, given the relation between the two Marcells, I can see Jesse Marcel doing that. Would you have done that? This I, I don't, knowing what I know now, of course not. Knowing what I know now, I would not have done that. So looking back at what Marcel did, did he do the right thing? Oh, absolutely not. He should not have stopped. Yeah. He should have gone right out to the base. Sure. But on the other side of the coin, Jesse Marcel Jr. told me a story, which I think is relevant here. He, back in 1946, before anybody really knew what the atomic bombs looked like, mm-hmm. other than the guys at the base, Jesse Jr. asked his father what the atomic bomb looked like. And his father drew a picture, I think, of Fat Man and showed it to him and then shredded it and burned it. Jesse Marcel Sr. is violating uh, protocols. He's violating uh, secrecy Yes. by doing that. But he's got this relationship with his son. And I think that's the key thing. When we look at this, Marcel realizes they've got something extraordinary and he wants to share it with his son before it all becomes classified. It doesn't break the chain of custody for him to stop at his home, mm-hmm. although it tends to contaminate the evidence somewhat by showing it to his family before he goes on out to the base. But the chain of custody, he picked it up on the uh, airfield, he drove it into Roswell, he stopped at his house, which is more or less on the way to the base, and showed it to his, uh, his wife and his son, and then continued out to the base with the material. So the chain of custody is intact. It's just he violated the protocols by stopping there and showing them this thing because he should have realized this is... And he may well have realized this is going to be highly classified the next couple of days, mm-hmm. but it's not now. It's not yet classified. So he could, I, th- I think, when conscience, he could show it to his son. And I think that relationship between Jesse Sr. and Jesse Jr. is what's key in understanding why he did what he did. Why wasn't he reprimanded by his superiors for doing this? Because I'm sure if the generals would have found out that he actually stopped at his house, let his children, let his son play with whatever this is, that he would have, he would have been reamed over by this. Absolutely. So and why didn't is. they? They didn't know he stopped. Ah. You know, he never, he never mentioned it. The, Jesse Jr. never mentioned it. None of this came out until Jesse Marcel uh, was interviewed in 1978. So back in 1947, he didn't say, well, I stopped at the house to show my kid this stuff. He just said, here's the stuff that I brought from the base. So had they known 
especially after they determined it was something extremely important, extremely unusual. Had they known that, he probably would have gotten into a great deal of trouble. Wow. So basically, if, uh, if, I'm, if I understand correctly, Kevin, we're no further ahead in understanding what happened at Roswell in 1947 on this date in 2015. No, no. And what we have is the major confusion now added of the, the, the slides that were supposedly of the alien creature. And having found out what that all entails, yeah. it's kind of set, sets us all back. It's kind of, I always kind of viewed it as the alien autopsy light. Instead of having a, a film, an 8 millimeter film or a 16 millimeter film of a, of a partially autopsy, we just had two slides of something that looked extremely unusual. So it was, that was kind of my feeling of it. But all that has done is confuse the issue because, the, and, and here you go, there is no chain of custody for the slides. There is no provenance for the slides. They really don't know who took the pictures, although there's a supposition that it was taken by either Hilda or Bernard Ray, who's had them in their, had them in their collection. But the collection sat in an attic or a garage for a number of years after both of them had died. So there's no chain of custody. There's no provenance. But it appears that the pictures were taken at a museum at Mesa Verde in uh, Colorado uh, sometime in the late 1940s. So hmm. uh, that is all kind of being researched at this point, but I think the ship is pretty much sailed. I think we're pretty sure that what we have is a photograph of a mummy based on a lot of the physical evidence that's now available. And that's kind of confused and complicated the issue for the last uh, several months, and that's where the Roswell case has kind of hung up. Yeah, well, you, we, we, we've seen the same thing when it comes to Bigfoot. We've seen the same thing when it comes to other aspects of the paranormal. It's, it's like there's a slide, there's a sideshow going on in every topic. And I think the problem is, and, and we've discussed this a little bit on my blog, I was, I was kind of impressed that to, to investigate the slides, there was a coalition put together mm-hmm. of, of skeptics and believers and people with computer skills and all of this so that when they got a, a decent scan of the slide with this placard on it, that, that they attempted they could attempt to read it. And, and I was impressed that, that we had this coalition of, of, of people from all manner of ufology coming together to try to decipher this slide and I thought you know this is the way we should be going we should be doing this sort of thing to elevate ufology to a point where um, we're, we're not we're not laughed at as the people in the tin hats I know when right. when, um, when Stephen Bassett did his uh, stuff in Washington DC his, his citizen hearing yep. on, on UFOs in Washington DC one of the newspapers found two people who were running around with um, some kind of jewelry on their heads and this sort of thing and interviewed them. They were not part of the conference. They were not part of what's going on. They were just running around the area. Another, another newspaper pulled a picture out of uh, their archives as if this was something that was going on during the citizen hearing. Uh, making light of it, making little of it. I was impressed with the New York Times. They actually sent a reporter down there who talked to people and did a, a fairly coherent, uh, non-biased story about what was happening there. But too often, uh, we got lumped in with what is now called the Tin, tin Hat Brigade. Yeah. 
and, and, and we bring some of that on ourselves by our lack of discipline and our lack of scrutiny and our lack of due diligence when we investigate cases. We get so wrapped up in our own belief structure, whether it's there is no such thing as alien visitation or they're all over the place, uh, that we don't look at the evidence as a whole. We look at the bit, bits and pieces that kind of support our point of view. And I, and I, I think that what we need to do is, is elevate all of that so we're looking at the evidence and saying, this is where the evidence leads me on this specific case. And if I explain this specific case, it doesn't mean that there's no alien visitation. It means that specific case is not an example of alien visitation. So let's stop citing it as an example. Tell, tell me, Kevin, have you ever heard of the, the, the journey of either 10 or 12 military astronauts to a planet 35 light years away called Serpo? Yes, I have, and I've ignored it. Smart man. Uh, it, 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 you know, that's, that's what I'm talking about yeah. when I talk about the 10 foil brigade. Yep. And with no evidence whatsoever, people embrace this. There's a fellow named Robert French mm-hmm. who had a distinguished military career. If you take a look at his records, he, he retired as lieutenant colonel. He, uh, he flew combat missions in Vietnam. He was decorated highly for his valor in Vietnam. And now... He is saying, well, I was involved with Roswell. He, the one thing he said that really cracked me up, he says, he helped write the Blue Book. I'm thinking <laughs> if I was involved with Project Blue Book, I would know that there was no such thing as the Blue Book. It was actually the investigation of UFOs. And yet he's inver- he was interviewed by, the, the point is he was interviewed by these people who also believe in the Serpico or the nonsense as well. But he provides no evidence for any of this stuff, kind of relying on his military background, and the things he says says that if you check them out, other than well, even things he said about his military background don't check out. He was, you know, he said that he had uh, flown combat missions in Korea, and yet his record shows that while he may have served in Korea, mm-hmm. he wasn't a pilot because he didn't go to flight school until 1954 after the war was over, so he couldn't have flown combat missions in Korea. But he could well have served in Korea, given what we could ascertain from his military record. Maybe he graduated from the CalCorf School of Secret Spies. No, CalCorf didn't even serve in the military. I I know. I was being very, very sarcastic. I understand that. And Robert French really causes me anguish because he clearly served in the military. He clearly moved up the ranks. He clearly was decorated for valor, mm-hmm. and then he goes and spoils it all by making up these cockamamie stories. I've got one better than that for you, my friend. I'm not going to talk about a lieutenant colonel here, even though I got your dig about you being a lieutenant colonel now, not major. <laughs> I was not a dig. <laughs> Just updating the biography here. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> I'm not talking about a general. I'm not talking about the director of an intelligence agency. I'm going to tell you a story about the Minister of Defense for Canada, the Honorable Paul Hellier. Right? You know about Paul? Yes, I do. Okay. I had him on the show last week or the week before. And, And, you know, we're talking about UFOs, his interest in UFOs, the planet Serpo, and and a slew of other things in between. 
And I gave him a timeline to go through before he was the Minister of Defense until he was Minister of Defense to the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada and retirement. I did this timeline within the UFO community. And then I said, I asked him, I said, so as the Minister of Defense, the number one guy in Canada responsible for the defense of Canada, were you ever made aware of a UFO situation? You know what his answer was? No. No. He only got interested in UFOs after he retired and started reading books. And he had the perfect opportunity to look into it. Exactly. But he but said he was never made aware by his, his staff, which I would imagine are the generals and maybe even the lieutenant colonel here or there, that <laughs> there were no UFO reports. I, I think that if we looked at, and, and I, I look at it the perspective from the American president as mm -hmm. opposed to the Secretary of Defense, but the American president, who has an awful lot on his plate, as you can well imagine. Especially these days. And, yeah, and there's nothing going on in the field of UFOs that requires his attention or his expertise or his, his guidance. Yeah. And I think that since there is nothing like that, they don't mention that to him, as there's lots of stuff they don't mention to him. And I think one of the best examples I have of this is what was called Operation Solo. This was a guy who in the 1930s, an American citizen, who believed communism was the answer to the world's problems. Remember, this is 1938. Mm -hmm. And he became a big wheel in the Communist Party. He was later disillusioned by what he saw. But the Soviets took him at face value and gave him, gave him a high position in the Soviet, uh, Soviet Union and what he was doing with communism in the United States. It, it turned out he was actually an FBI agent. And he, one of the reasons I don't believe the Soviets had anything to do with Kennedy assassination is he apparently was in the Kremlin when they learned that Kennedy had been assassinated. They didn't realize he could speak Russian and they were discussing it in front of him, hoping, saying things like, I hope they don't think we had anything to do with it. And to me, that thing was very persuasive. But, but the point simply is, here's this operation where this guy's gathering intelligence for the mm -hmm. FBI. It's run out of the FBI office in New York City. Not everybody in that office knew what was going on and knew about this, this guy. His name was uh, Childs, Morris Childs. Uh, and his brother was involved in it as well, and his wife was involved, and they were sneaking information out of the Soviet Union repeatedly. Right. They didn't tell. They didn't tell the president that this operation was going on. Uh, with with I think two two exceptions. One, I think they told Kennedy what the Soviet position was on the missile missile crisis during <laughs> the Cuban Missile Crisis. So Kennedy knew that the Soviets probably wouldn't go to war because they they figured they would lose. And two. When Gerald Ford just became president after Nixon resigned, he had a meeting with the Soviets, and he was very, very uncomfortable with this meeting. And they sat him down and told him about Operation Solo so that he would know they were getting very good information. The point of this is that the president didn't need to know about this operation until it affected what he was going to be doing, and then they told him about Operation Solo. But it wasn't something that they necessarily needed to brief him on when he became the president. And I think the UFO thing is kind of like that. There's nothing going on 
in it today that the president needs to worry about um, because the the information is we we if we go back to the Arnold sighting and I mm-hmm. think actually the the modern era goes back into World War II but if we go back to the Arnold sighting we we look at that in 1947 and we're saying my my God you know how long has it been that these things have been visiting and there has been no um, dramatic effect they haven't invaded they haven't caused any trouble yeah. real trouble and so there's no reason to bother the president with this information now if suddenly if you had an Independence Day scenario where the things were photographed just moving toward our atmosphere, then they would brief him on everything that they had. And that's kind of what they did in Independence Day, if you remember. The president didn't know anything about this until it became necessary for him to know about it. Yeah. Do you think the UFO community is causing enough of a stir with what's going on in Washington, Steve Bassett and the Paradigm Group and the the citizens' inquiries that are going on? I, I think... I, you know, I, I, I admire Steve Bassett for what he's attempted to do, but mm-hmm. I think he's somewhat misguided. I don't think that we can force disclosure from our end. I think that's going to be necessary to happen. The, 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 something's going to have to happen to force disclosure. Mm-hmm. And the hearings in Washington, D.C., and I participated in those hearings, it was wonderful to see some of these witnesses and have an opportunity to talk to them about what they had seen and what they had done and what their involvement was. But even with all of that, um, the blip on the radar mm-hmm. wasn't all that high. Um, there was some discussion about it. Most of it was very, very dismissive. Yeah. And so without something to trigger uh, disclosure, I don't think we're, ever, we're going to get there. It's gonna have, there's going to have to be something outside the UFO community to trigger it, or we're going to have to stumble on something. And, it, and it's kind of like the way we stumbled on Project Moondust, which was an ongoing investigation into UFOs with other missions as well, but we we found out about that because the State Department inadvertently declassified or sent sent some documentation to UFO researchers that mentioned moon dust, and we suddenly learned that moon dust was there, although we would have learned about it because I have now found references to moon dust in the Project Blue Book files. Um, so, so we know that moon dust existed. We know there was a UFO component. We know it existed after the end of, of um, Project Blue Book, we know it existed until about the mid-1980s mm-hmm. when the name was compromised. And then we know that they changed the name, but they continued going. We, there was a letter out that they sent to, um, I think, Robert Todd, who said the name of Moondust is no longer valid and the new name is properly classified. So there is something going on and some investigating going on, but there's absolute, we, we don't have that, that information. And until we blunder into something like that or there's some mm-hmm. sort of outside influence i yeah. don't think disclosure is going to happen there, there's something that 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 bothers me and and i like talking to people like you who are level-headed and th- this is the scenario we've got computer hackers breaking into government databases from russia from china we've had edward edward snowden we've had the wikileaks in all these hackings and leaks, there has been not one mention of UFOs or extraterrestrials. Now, if Russia or China or North Korea wanted to cause dissension within the United States and Canada, would it not be to their benefit the next time they're hacking to actually look for proof that the ETs have landed and that the ETs are working with the government behind the scenes and that the evidence of the existence is there. 
present this to the American public, the Canadian public, automatically the, the government's credibility is, is diminished and they have succeeded in basically bringing down the government. And yet this hasn't happened. Why? Because I, I, I think that there's actually multiple answers to that. One of the reasons is I'm not sure that all the documents that were released by uh, Snowden and um, uh, the other guy's name, forget uh, Brad, Bradley, um, whose name, forget, the, the one that, uh, from, from Iraq, who uh, oh, released gee. a whole bunch of documents as well. I, I think the documents where they were searching the things that they were finding mm-hmm. didn't didn't involve the UFOs. I think the other problem is that even if you had a and then any number of UFO documents have surfaced saying you know the, these things are real, this thing is yeah. something to be taken serious. Those documents have been around f- for years. I don't think it's going to upset anybody. And then to learn that the government lied to us, I'm not sure if the Canadian government lies to Canadians. Of course they do. You know what's the what's What's the old saying? How can you tell when a politician is lying to you? His lips are moving. I was trying to be nice to the Canadians. Well, I was being honest. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when I've been to Canada, everybody's been very nice to me. And, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, but, but you haven't dealt with politicians, have you? Uh, this is true. Ah, there you go. But, but the, um, we, we, we know the American government has lied to us, and we can look at all kinds of things that yeah. they have done that are just outrageous. Uh, the experimentation on children who had terminal diseases so, or, or were uh, mentally retarded or whatever, uh, we'll experiment with radiation on them and see how yeah. they react. I mean, that's just outrageous. It is. And, and, but that's all come out. Yeah. And, and I think that if, if we suddenly had a document that um, you know, came out from the, Soviet, of the Soviets, the Russians, the Chinese, or somebody, the North Koreans, that said UFOs are real and we know about that, I think that the first thing is going to be thought, well, this is some sort of disinformation by those governments, and it's going to be mm-hmm. almost impossible to trace it back into the United States government. And even if it turned out to be true and people believed it, I don't, I don't see a paradigm shift being made by this because of all the discussions that we've had about this over the last 70, um, 70 years about UFOs and flying saucers and alien creatures visiting Earth. I don't see it causing a huge impact unless of course and this is wild ass speculation it turned out that the government was in some sort of collusion with the aliens for the abduction phenomenon which is one of the the the, the rumors that is circulated but unless you found something like that and could demonstrate it uh to the to the satisfaction of the most outrageous skeptic that this is true I just don't think it's going to make a make a big impact. But when you're looking at the documents and what um, these people have done uh, with, with releasing government documents, I, I they you know uh, what Snowden released what 750,000 various documents, um, but that's just a small drop in the bucket mm-hmm. of what uh, the documents that are out there. And I think Snowden was actually looking at NSA stuff that dealt with the uh, what the NSA was doing in monitoring American citizens. Well, actually, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. But citizens of the world's telephone communications and other communications. And yeah, but they like were, they were ju- they're just collecting metadata. Meta it's not as if they've, they're monitoring the entire con- the conversations. 
Yeah, I, and I believe that too. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the point simply is, you know, he was looking for specific things, and I don't think UFOs ever crossed right. his mind. Exo Nation, my guest this hour is the one and only Lieutenant Colonel, <coughs> Lieutenant Colonel Kevin Randall. His blogspot is kevinrandall.blogspot.com, and you're listening to us live and around the world on the all-new Starcom Radio Network. Don't forget my buddy Ed Till is on Starcom Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m. daily. Then we take over at 8 until, what is it, 11 or 12. And then the day starts over. But on the weekends, Exo Nation, music is the order of the day here on Starcom. Uh, Kevin, what about the the MJ-12 papers? Didn't they shed some light on to the uh, UFO phenomenon? All they did was create more confusion, just like like the Roswell slides. Uh, There are proponents of the MJ-12 papers, but after 30 years of searching, no one has ever found a document in an archive, Mm -hmm. with with one exception, and is clearly planted there. Uh, of a, a reference to MJ-12. There's nothing in other documentation. It just never surfaces. The interesting thing is, I, I, and I shouldn't say I found it. Um, somebody else had found it. But there was a um, uh, a plan called Majestic that that dealt with logistics. I believe it had to do with the logistics of moving men and materiel to counter Soviet. Um, incursions into Europe. But there was a plan called Majestic. It was later, the name was later changed. But that's, that's the only thing we found with Majestic on it. It has nothing to do with UFOs or anything else. And it's just interesting that in all this time and all the searching that's gone on and all the documents that have been looked at by lots of different people and lots of different archives, uh, we have never found a reference to MJ-12 that isn't clouded in some fashion. Most of the documents we have arrived anonymously in mailboxes, so there's no provenance for them. An awful lot of them have been proven to be hoaxes. Uh, Bill Moore admitted to retyping one of the documents, uh, which they was called known as the Aquarius Telex. And I asked um, Stan Friedman, I asked uh, Bob Woods about Project Aquarius, and they never got back to me with any sort of answer. But this was the precursor to mm-hmm. MJ-12. So the MJ-12 didn't solve anything. It clouded the issue even more so. If I was running a disinformation campaign to convince people UFOs didn't exist, I would have taken credit for MJ-12. <laughs> said, look what I've done. I've diverted all this attention and research and resources to this investigation of this thing that just doesn't exist, and they're wasting all this time and effort trying to track it down. Do you think we'll ever get to the bottom of this entire thing? Do you think we'll find out who was responsible for the MJ-12? Or- uh, the N- MJ-12 papers? I think MJ-12, we pretty well know who was responsible for it. And I think Phil Class pointed that out quite a number of years ago when he discovered the bizarre dating format in the uh, uh, Eisenhower briefing document, which uh, was traceable right back to Bill Moore. Mm. And I think when you look at that, it, the evidence suggests that Bill Moore and uh, Richard Doty were the responsible parties for the first of the MJ-12 documents, and others have just ju- jumped on the bandwagon, creating more and more documents. Uh, Stan was actually one that outed a number of the fake documents. So it could, what he found and, and what is obvious, 
they'd say, well, how would these people know all this information to get these documents so historically accurate relating to MJ-12? And what they would find is they'd taken a letter or a document that was created in the proper time frame uh, that had some other discussion going on, and they would insert something about MJ-12 into it. And so it looked like it was corroborative information about MJ-12, and, and it certainly wasn't. Uh, there's, any, there's, just literally, there's literally now thousands of documents like that out there, and if you, I think, talk to Stan Friedman, and, um, he concentrates on the Eisenhower briefing document, the Truman memo, uh, the Cutler Twining letter as the, the main MJ-12 true documents, but he has never found anything in an archive that mm -hmm. relates to MJ-12, that mentions MJ-12. And he's looked and looked and looked, and he's never been able to come forward and say, this is a document, we have the provenance, we found it in this archive, and it says, M you know, mentions MJ-12. The lone exception is the Cutler 20 memo, which the National Archives says, yes, this is a document in our possession, but we believe it to be bogus, and here's why. So they believe it was planted. Disinformation? Uh, I no. Uh, Stan will tell you yes. It's dis, it's it was it was um, disinformation. I think it was more of an opportunity of some people to propel themselves into the ufological spotlight or hold that spotlight on them for a longer period of time. Well, you know, we've you know, seen it, this throughout ufology. For example, going back to March of 2014, John Ventry, the district uh, or what, what, what was what was it Craig he was the director of MUFON or is the director of MUFON for Pennsylvania he issued this although authorities are baffled the fact is that a large aircraft and he's talking about flight 370 of Malaysian Airlines cannot just disappear or can they between black boxes transponders radar debris fields explosions and missile strike signatures evidence is always left behind the one explanation that hasn't been mentioned by mainstream media is the plane and its passengers were abducted by extraterrestrials. Can you believe this? No. And and the thing is, we you know we look at we look at that stuff and we find out that that's you know, airplanes can disappear. Yeah. They can, uh, especially in areas as remote as that was, um, and. and we looked at this for for decades, literally. Yep. And, and you look at some of, I mean, back in the 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, we didn't have nearly the capabilities we have now. But how many airplanes disappeared there? The star Stardust was was said to have disappeared on approach to um, the airport of uh, the capital of Chile, which for some, oh, Santiago, Chile. For some reason, the capital of Chile had, had escaped my mind for a minute. But they said, well, here's this airplane, and how can it disappear within sight of the airfield? And they eventually found the plane, um, what, 15 years ago? It had crashed into a mountain, the mountains in Argentina. It had never gotten close to the airport. They had issued, they said, well, we're within 50 miles of the airport based on their navigation just before they ran into the mountain. Mm -hmm. They were nowhere near Santiago. And so, you know, we look at this stuff, and um, yeah, we should know where it happened, but the the area they're searching was so huge, and what if it was another guy that just, you know, the the pilot or the co-pilot decided to commit suicide, like we just had in, in Swiss Europe. Air. Yeah, I just just decided to fly into yep. the mountain, and so they'd be way off course. Then nobody would know where 
exactly where to be looking. You can turn off the equipment so you can't be found. So there's all sorts of more rational explanations than they abducted the entire airplane. But, you know, this, this is just goes to show that it seems as if there are those within the UFO community just want to get a little bit of publicity. The, the draw of the spotlight is very powerful. And, and that's certainly true. And the other, the other side of this, and I think that drives much of this, and that's why I'm not invited to speak at lots and lots of conferences, is because they go, they go to the conferences, they want their belief structures validated. Yep. And they say to me, what do you think of this case? And they don't want me to tell them what, they, what I really think or what the evidence suggests. What they want me to do is say, yes, this is extremely mysterious and it proves that there's alien visitation. There are cases, I think, where we can make that sort of leap based on the evidence that's available. And, you know, the Japanese, the mm-hmm. JAL, um, it was 1628, I think, was the flight number, over Alaska, yep. where you've got radar sightings. And John Callahan was the FAA inspector who investigated this thing. And he, they were able to recreate like 30 minutes of radar tracks of the object and the, the, the aircraft. And so you've got some very solid evidence, and there's really no explanation for what he saw other than alien visitation. And, and so that's a very solid case and a very important case. These skeptics will tell you, well, they saw Venus and they saw Mars and the radar tracks don't count and it was a false image and all of this stuff. And I'm thinking, yeah, and the FAA guy who investigated that would have been aware of all that. Of course. And he didn't come up with it. Uh, so, you know, there's good, solid cases out there, but every little case doesn't lead to a UFO. And I had a beautiful case here in, in Iowa, uh, what, 30 years ago, where a, a, a man and a woman, I really want to say a boy and a girl because they were in their very early 20s, if they were that old, maybe, maybe the late teens, early 20s, and they had seen something out near what's called Palisade Cape Kepler State Park. And they'd seen these objects sort of floating down and disappearing. They were, they were starlight. Starlike is, is that the way they described them first. And when, when I talked to the female involved in this, she gave me a drawing she made, and it was a domed disc with an alien cre- two alien creatures in it. I thought, wow, this is great. You know, this. And I went and talked to the guy, and he said, I don't know where she's getting this. We didn't see anything like that. So I went out to Palisade Kepler about the same time of day and watched and I realized what they, they were looking at the landing lights of airplanes going into the airport, and the wind blowing the other direction. You never heard the, the, the uh, engine noises. But that's what they were seeing. I saw exactly what they were seeing. And so here's this case that's, that's explainable in the mundane. And I, I put something up on my blog about this a number of years ago, and one of, the, one of the responses was, well, it was just a bunch of guys browbeating the poor girl so she would say she didn't see all of this stuff. Never occurred to them that, that this is really what the answer was, and we needed to move away from this case. So you, you, you get the people who uh, want to see a UFO, they mm-hmm. think they've seen a UFO, and if you don't validate it, they become angry with you, even though you know, I would love for the woman to have seen what she claimed to have seen because it would have been a nice case because you've got occupants involved, you've got a dome-shaped disc, and all of this wonderful testimony she gave. And she wasn't lying about it, but I think in her mind the problem was she was extremely upset by the sighting, and as she thought about it, these are the things that she saw that made her feel better about what she had seen, even though if we said landing lights from an airplane and she said, oh, okay, I got that. I think that would have made her feel even better. You know, 
we're talking about validation, uh, Kevin, and that's exactly why people go to psychics because they want validation. And years ago, when I used to do the psychic fairs uh, in the early days of the X Zone, I'd watch people go from psychic to psychic to psychic to psychic each time, dishing out seventy, eighty, a hundred and ten bucks, whatever the case was. And I could always, I always knew when they heard what they wanted to hear because they'd left the fair. And you know, we, we, we see that in yeah. the UFO field. You know, they'll, they'll buy books, but if you don't validate what they say, then they, they, uh, there's one guy that dogs me on Amazon who, no matter what book I write, he always gives it one star and says it's terrible. And it's clear from the last book, the uh, government UFO files, he didn't mm-hmm. even bother to read it because he said there's nothing new here. And I'm thinking, excuse me, I said that the Arnold sighting didn't be. Are you still there, Kevin? Kevin, are you there? Exonation, I don't know. We've uh, lost Kevin. We're going to try and get him back. But uh, Kevin Randall is my guest this hour. I don't know what happened. Maybe he was abducted by aliens. But I'll, uh, I, we're going to try and get him back. If we can't get him back before the end of this interview, we'll certainly get him back at another date because this guy is the real McCoy. You, you've heard him talk. You've heard him give explanations. We know that Kevin is the real McCoy. He's a lieutenant colonel. When he was last on the show, I believe he was a, a major. I remember him when he was a captain. But he's been around for so long. And he's not afraid to say, you know what? New evidence has come in, and this is how we're looking at it now based on the new evidence. And you heard him talk about specific cases that he believes in, and there's nothing wrong with that explanation, nothing wrong with that at all. And once again, if you'd like to find out more about Kevin, kevinrandall.blogspot.com. That's K-E-V-I-N-R-A-N-D-L-E dot blogspot.com now i've got to take a commercial break we're getting up to the top of the hour we have astrology with baby foofy she's actually just reading the astrology it's a summer job for baby foofy it's her first summer job and we want to know if you the exo nation want us to keep her on send me an email to on air at exoneradiotv.com or you can send an email to BB Fuffy. That's B B F O O F I E at XZoneRadioTV.com. All right, looks like we've got Kevin back. Hey, Kevin, what happened? Did you get abducted? I think so. I, I think the aliens were so annoyed at what I was saying, they cut us off. It's either that or the NSA, one of the two. Oh, I'll go with NSA. That's much nicer. <laughs> <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds better that way. You know, Kev, we've got about three minutes left. Um, okay. So first of all, I want to thank you ever so much. I want to get you back on because, as I was telling the Exxon Nation uh, when, when we lost our, our, our feed with you, that, in my opinion, you are one of the most credible investigators out there when it comes to the UFO phenomenon. You're not afraid to, to, to take new evidence, look at it, and if necessary, you know, change, change the case 
as the new evidence comes in. If it's if it's solid evidence, that's one thing. If it's if it's crap, that's another thing. But you, in my book, my friend, are one of the best investigators out there. And this is what the UFO community needs: more investigators who know what the hell they're talking about, instead of these armchair investigators who know nothing about investigating, know nothing about research except what they read on the internet. Well, and, that, and that's a problem. I mean, the Internet, you can find anything you want mm-hmm. uh, or any point of view you want by, by searching around long enough. And I mean, you look at credible cases, and Shay Harbor, I think you mentioned earlier, with yes. Don Ledger and yep. Chris Stiles. I mean, there is an extremely good case with lots of documentation um, that suggests something fell into Shag Harbor. And, and there's even a photograph that uh, Chris Stiles and Don Ledger shared with me. So, I mean, it's a, that's an important case. And they were out there going through the documentation, going through the archives, talking to the people, talking to the witnesses, rather than going to the Internet and seeing what they could find out about mm-hmm. that. Although the Internet is a wonderful research tool, I, I, I must admit that. But, but that's the one thing that we have to do, and I think that's kind of what this, this Roswell Slides thing has kind of shown us, that we need to um, apply all our knowledge to the phenomenon to see if we can answer the questions. And the alien aspect of it may not be right. There may be a different aspect of it that, that is manifesting itself here. To me, the, the extraterrestrial is the most likely explanation, but there's always a possibility of something interdimensional. There's a possibility of time travel. There's a possibility of lots of other things. And there's a possibility that everything that we've seen and reported is just misidentifications of natural phenomena as, as some of the governments would like us to believe. Yeah. I believe there's an extraterrestrial component. Kevin, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you, where they can get your books. Uh, the books are at Amazon.com. Uh, the latest is Government UFO Files. The new one comes out in October, I believe. And I'm at uh, kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And it, there's links to Amazon from there and all of that sort of thing. Kevin, again, thank you so much for joining us, my friend. I look forward to the next time that you meet us back here in the X-Zone. Regards to your family. Well, thank you, and you know where I am. <laughs> Take care, Kevin. Bye-bye, my friend. Bye. Exonation. Nation, Kevin Randall has been our guest this hour. And as I said, in my book, he's one of the best investigators out there because he knows what real investigation is. He's been trained by the Army. He's been trained by the, the Air Force, military policemen, and one heck of a guy. I'll be back on the other side of this break as Baby Foofy does astrology here in the X-Zone, live and around the world on the Starcom Radio Network. <laughs>